What did you do by faith this last week? Not by rote, not by routine, not by convenience. What did you do by faith? Maybe you'd say, well, I, uh, I expressed love to someone to encourage them. Or I went to a life group even though I was dead tired. I served someone trying to help meet their need. Or maybe you shared your faith with a coworker or a friend. Or you gave your first and your best as an offering to God. Maybe you kept your word. Maybe you spent time in God's word by faith, even though it meant less sleep. Maybe you'd say, I, well, I kept my integrity instead of cheating. I was tempted, but I didn't give in to that sin. Or I trusted one of God's promises when I started to feel anxious. Or simply, I held my tongue. You know, all those little moments where we actually have this opportunity to express faith in God and do life his way or choose to kind of do what our flesh would want or what's convenient, what's easiest, or what's not going to raise any, any feathers or any problems that's always a choice that we have in life. And this whole series is about learning more and more how to live by faith, not by sight, not by rote, not by experience, not by our wisdom, but by God's. And we started this series just last week called By Faith, Old Testament Portraits of Believing God. And it's a, it's a series of case studies as we look into the Old Testament, primarily in Genesis and Exodus, and we'll look at a couple other places in the Old Testament, about these very ordinary people, Right? Ordinary people that had faith in an extraordinary God. They understood, at least in part, how awesome God was and that he keeps his promises and he's sovereign, he's holy and he's powerful and he's merciful and all of that. And they just expressed faith in who he was. God always being the hero, God always being the deliverer, God always being the strong one. But these people, just like you and I, normal people, different culture, different time, but nonetheless, normal, average people, that chose to express faith in an extraordinary God. Last week, we studied who? You remember? Test your memory. I got to do that a lot these days, right? Okay, sometimes I forget. Don't worry. Uh, Abel. So we looked at Cain and Abel in the story there, but we focused on Abel and his offering to God, which was deemed acceptable, and God commended him for it. He gave his first and his best to God, and that was accepted. And then we know Cain did not was not commended by God. He got so angry in his sin and continued sin, he murdered his brother, Abel, the first martyr of the faith. But a great example of giving our first and our best to God, if you didn't catch that message, I encourage you to listen to it online. But this week is about Noah. This week is about looking at his life, his faith, his choices, what he did in a wicked culture, standing out because of his love and his faith in God. So we're going to look at his story and we're going to start in Hebrews 11.7 to kind of give the framework. As you know, Hebrews 11 has this, they call it the heroes of the faith. Really, I'd want to say God's the hero and a bunch of ordinary people that actually learned, really learned to place their faith in God. And uh, so in verse 7, I'll give you the context and then we're going to jump into the narrative that's found in Genesis 6, 7, 8, and 9. Hebrews 11.7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. 
So then we look back from that New Testament description in Hebrews, that whole chapter, we look back specifically now on Noah and his life, his story. And that's where we pick it up in the the narrative there in Genesis chapter 6, starting in verse 5. And I'm going to pick the high points. Four chapters, there's lots of detail, incredible detail about his story and what happened surrounding his life, the rescue of his family and the animals, and so on. Lots of detail, too much to really cover in one message, but I'm going to pick the highlights, and uh, you'll see how the story weaves together. Starting in Genesis 6, 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man in the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. God said, make yourself an ark of gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you are to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. Make a roof for the ark and finish it to a cubit above. And set the door of the ark in its side. Make it lower, second, and third decks. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And of everything of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Noah did this. He did all that God commanded him. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters came upon the earth. The fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. The waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. The ark floated on the face of the waters. All the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground. At the end of 150 days, the waters had abated. The ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. And Noah removed the covering of the ark and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with him. Every beast, every creeping thing, and every bird Then Noah built an ark to the Lord and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And God said, This is the sign of the covenant I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you. For all future generations, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. This great covenant incredible covenant that God made to the earth, to Noah and his family, to you and I today, that he would never destroy the earth again by water. Now, some of you may, you know, you hear this Noah story, and depending on where you are in your walk with God or your, your personal faith, you may think, well, that, that's kind of a big story. I don't know if I can swallow all this. You know, and a lot of people debate this, and, you know, scientists have their, you know, their, their shots at it and whatnot. But what's really interesting in the, the narrative of this whole story being four chapters, the incredible detail, the incredible detail, why God wouldn't just say, well, this happened, you know, wickedness in the earth. I needed to judge it. I had this man, Noah, and his family, and I wanted to save them, and I'll 
the animals and judge the wicked and it all happened. Like, there's so much detail. It's incredible. And I'm wondering if in the time that we have left, if archaeologists and scientists are going to understand the timing of all of these intricate details in this story. As I did a little bit of research this week, I found that, wow, there's so much that establishes the credibility of this story. And scientists have, they've done this one thing where they drill columns down into different areas of the ocean floor and the continents around the world and see this the same layering of the sediments and the fossil record. And it's a little bit um, complicated to describe. But they're saying like, oh yeah, that could only really happen if there was a global flood. There's really no other explanation for that. And the way it happened and the speed that it happened. Anyway, if you're interested, dig into the science of this and you'll discover the credibility of what we're told in Scripture. And we know that others in the New Testament pointed back, you know, Peter points back to Noah, Jesus himself. If there was any lack of credibility, Jesus wouldn't be talking about Noah and what happened in the document, the the narrative. It's all true in every exact jot and tittle. Every detail is true that we're given in Scripture about what happened surrounding this flood and the ark and God's promise and his covenant. But some of you, you're helped by pictures or video, so I want to take you from where we are right now to where the ark ended up. Remember? Mount Ararat. Where is it? In Turkey. Okay, you ready? Thanks to Ryan Doucette. Get ready. You're going on a trip. There we are. Okay, we're leaving. Okay, say goodbye to Moore Park. Say goodbye to Ventura County. Say goodbye to... Okay. We're going on a trip. California... The U.S., take a right, spin the world. It's spinning right now, by the way, if you didn't know that. It's actually spinning. We're actually on a spinning globe called the Earth. All the way to the Middle East, all the way to, where's Turkey? Can you find it? Where's Mount Ararat? Look for a really tall, I think 16 or 17,000 feet, something like that. There to see the white, see the snow. And right there to the left, to the west side, you see an area that's a little bit lighter. That's about where they, where they claim that parts of the ark have been found in an outline of the ark. And archaeologists have done some studies that were parting, uh, starting to declare that as a finding. And then they kind of shut it down. The government kind of shut it down. You don't hear a whole lot about it. Do your own research. But anyway, that's the mountain that the ark finally came to rest after 150 days, 40 days. You know, the water gushed out of the earth. The rain came down. No rain to that point. So this was like this miracle. Like, what? What is this from the sky? From below, the ark raised. After 150 days, it had dried off enough that the ark lay on the side of that mountain, Mount Ararat, and they were able to leave the ark as God promised. Um, what does it look like, though? Can you, can you kind of picture what, I mean, 30 cubits a cubit's about 18 inches-ish. That's about the length of an arm, apparently, from the fingertip to the elbow. That's how they measured it. So it's about 450 feet, 75 feet wide, 45 feet high-ish. And it looked like this. In fact, that's a replica of the Ark that's been built in Kentucky. Have you heard about this? It's called the Ark Encounter. This is one of the phases. Um, Now it's complete and they're doing tours. And I thought like, well, yeah, I mean, that's cool. You know, they build a big boat to kind of look like, you know, I know it's about the size of a football field. How interesting. Until you see the video tour, go online and look up Ark Encounter. It's fascinating. It is definitely worth the trip. Or if you're on the East Coast or anywhere near Kentucky, stop. It's really incredible all that they have inside. They have the three decks and the whole thing. And that's built to the dimensions that we see in Scripture. Pretty big, huh? You can see why it took Noah and his sons 
They say 50 to 75 years-ish. They don't know exactly, but somewhere in there. Yeah, that's a big project. He was a carpenter. You know any other carpenters? Hmm. Anyway. Um, Kentucky. The guy who designed this, who's the founder of a ministry called Answers in Genesis, is a guy named Ken Ham. Okay? And the Mount Ararat is in Turkey. Ken, Turkey, Kentucky. Anyway, I got a kick out of it. I don't know. Ken, so if you're ever in Kentucky, Ken, Turkey, um, go visit the ark. Anyway, that's what it looked like. Big, massive. Okay, took a lot of faith. Okay, so now, what do we learn? What do we learn? More than just Kentucky, Kentucky. Okay, we learned three things, three takeaways. And there's so many. Again, there's, just, there's four rich chapters of detail in this. But we're committed to kind of looking at one person at a time in each week. So I had to kind of narrow our focus to what I thought were three key points, takeaways, lessons for us. The first is this. Like Noah, so you'll, you'll see each of these just like Noah. Believe God and obey his word. 1 John 3.23, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another. And then in John 14.15, if you love me, you will do what? What does it say? If you love me, you will... Did Noah love God? How do we know? Because he kept his commandments. You remember that in, in Genesis 6.22? We just read it. Noah did all that God commanded him. Noah believed God and he obeyed God. It's because he believed God. Not believed in God, not had a mental assent or agreement that there might be a God. Or like, well, I can't explain it and I didn't make the world, so there might, or I guess there is, or okay. It's like, no, he believed God and he believed when God spoke to him and commanded him to build this ark and there was a judgment coming and the animals will come to you, actually scripture says. So there's this miracle coming. He believed God. He believed that there was indeed going to be a flood and it would judge mankind for their sin. He believed that there would be this flood that he had no idea about. He wasn't anywhere near an ocean. He built this thing out in the middle of nowhere. He believed all this. He, he believed and he obeyed God and he built this ark just as God commanded him so that he and his family and the animals could be saved. He believed that his faith in action would be rewarded even though no one would listen to his warnings. Remember, he was a herald of righteousness to a wicked generation. They didn't believe him. They didn't want to come in. They were welcome to. They didn't. The judgment would come. Noah believed God. And he obeyed God. It was a demonstration of his love for God because he did obey him. So the question for you and me today is, do we, like Noah, believe God and obey his word? Do you believe him? Not do you believe about him. Not you, I'm not asking if you believe he exists. I'm asking you, do you believe that God exists so much so that you're believing his word is truth and it's authoritative and it's the best way you could ever live? You might have trouble with it here and there because it's different than the way you might choose to live, but it is truth, it is authority, and it is the best way, and it's going to bring the most peace and blessing and influence and impact in my life. Do we obey it like that? Do we believe God like that? Jesus said, believe in God, believe also in me. So people either believe in God and question themselves or they question God and believe in themselves. Which way is it? Do you believe in God and question yourself, or do you believe in yourself and question God? 
And that's really kind of the fork in the road that you see, really, that is, you know, the two roads of humanity. It's those that believe in God, that he exists, and that he rewards those who seek him, as we've seen in Hebrews now a couple different times. That there is a reward for those that believe he exists, that seek him with their heart, that want to love him and obey him and follow him, and there are others that might have a mental agreement, oh, I know there's a God, but they actually question God. They question the word. They question whether these things are true. They question his ways. And accordingly, they live their own way. So they question God and they treat themselves as God. Where are you today? Do you believe God? Are you obeying his truth, his word? Or do you question it? Once you turn from questioning to trusting him by faith, He can deliver you from your sin and come and fill your life and give you this promise, this promise of eternal life in his name. It's trusting that his ways will bring flourishing in your life, good things into your life. That to go your own way and to question him but trust yourself will lead to destruction or disaster or difficulty or tearing of relationships and not build your life. It actually would set your life up for a big fall. Do you believe God and obey his word? Romans 13.10 says, love is the fulfillment of the law. So you think, see, all the Old Testament put together, Jesus said that in a few different places. He goes, the fulfillment of all the Old Testament law? Christ, we couldn't fulfill it perfectly. Christ had to go to a cross and be that righteous fulfillment. But he said, to put it in a nutshell, just love people. Love people like you've been loved by God. And you were trapped in your sin, wayward from God, and he rescued you. He, he included you in the ark. He let you come in. And he did what he promised, and he saved you. And you can know that and celebrate that and then follow this God into a life that flourishes by his promises. And so to put these two together, if you love God, you're going to obey him like Noah did. You're going to obey all that he commands you, believing that when you obey him and you put love in action, that God honors that. To love him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength and to let that love really flow through you to other relationships and literally to all relationships. We should never try to direct the love of God away from someone because we're ticked at them or they're different than us or they don't deserve our love. They don't deserve my time or attention. I, I judge them. I criticize people like that. Oh, I don't like people like, oh, they've done things to me or to others. We all know their reputation. No, the love of God should be coursing through our mind and heart and pours. It should be pouring out, literally. There you go pouring out of you to all people around you. And if they're not interested in the Jesus behind the love of that, they may tell you, they may leave you, they may persecute you, but we're called, like Noah, to herald righteousness and this incredible love and rescue that God provides through the ark then, through Christ now. Are you believing in loving God And is it leading to obedience in your life? Is it leading to more radical love? Radical love. Are you displaying radical kindness? It's one thing to be kind, but oftentimes we're kind to those that are kind to us. We're kind of kind and nice to those that will itch our back. It's going to come back to me from that person. This is a worthy investment of my kindness. (laughs) You know, if you ever think like that, that's not of the Lord. Just say like, wow, I'm so measured It's still all about me. Even though I'm trying to express kindness, I'm looking for the payback. So if you can say, Lord, I want radical kindness. I'm feeling in my heart they don't deserve it or they've done this to me or whatever, but I'm still going to be exceedingly kind. I'm going to do a Christ-like action. I'm going to say something that shows I have patience for them. I will give grace to them just like 
God is always patient and gracious to me. That's radical, right? Would you agree with that? Not the people that it's easy to love. Jesus said, even the pagans do that. Those that don't even believe in God, they'll love each other if they get loved back. I mean, duh. That's just a smart way to get, get on in this world. He's saying a radical kind of love that gives patience when you don't think it's deserved, that forgives when you, yes, have been hurt, when you give grace, you're showing that something's happened in you, that Christ has become more and more at the center. You're believing God and his word and living it in obedience. And that love is radical. Noah expressed that. We need to express that more and more. Secondly, build a life of righteousness. Hebrews eleven seven. Again, I read this earlier, but here it'll actually be on the screen for you. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household, By this he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Genesis 6, in the narrative, says, in a very straightforward way, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. He had this reverent fear. He worked at building this art. He constructed it in this reverent fear and honor to God. He respected what God said This is what God said. Doesn't make sense to me. There's no ocean nearby. Oh, it's going to bust forth from the earth. It's going to come down from the heaven. I have no experience of this, but I'm going to believe your word, God. I'm going to trust you. And my my actions will show that I believe that you are a good God, a righteous God, and I want to follow you, obey you. What a respect there is. Do you respect God like that? He said it. I don't argue and debate. I, in faith, say, God, help me to live what you've told me. You've warmed me. He warned Noah this day was coming and be prepared for it. Noah took the warning seriously. Do we take the warnings of God seriously? Do we really believe that sin will lead to compromise, which leads to more sin, which leads to destruction in our lives, and will really tear out relationships and tear out our own peace? Do we believe that? He warns us that If you've done that enough in your life, you go like, oh yeah, that sin that I thought would deliver me and give so much pleasure. Now what I'm chasing actually has enslaved me. I chase it, I get it, and now it's gotten me. Now it actually enslaves me. Now I don't have control. I thought I would. I thought I could just choose it here and there, just little bits at a time, and now I'm enslaved to it. Sin always does that. So when we believe God and believe his warnings and believe his truth, believe his ways and start living them, it builds a life of righteousness, like he was building that ark. It took a long time. It takes a while to build a life of righteousness, doesn't it? We're doing it not to earn our way to God, not to be accepted by God. We are already accepted by Christ. We live under his righteousness. We're actually in the ark, if you will. We've been included. We've been saved because of what Christ did for us on that cross. It's from that place of being saved that we go and build a life of righteousness. Those little acts I started the morning with, the little steps of faith, that little response of faith, that's loving someone radically and being kind radically in faith. You're building a life of righteousness. You're putting the foundation in place in a way God can honor. He looks at your life, and yeah, you stumble along at times, and you, you don't put the bricks together exactly right, and sometimes you forget the cement, and you sin, and this and that, and you've got to repair it, but you're What are you trying to do? You're trying with God's help to build a life of righteousness. It's your goal. It's your direction. You're not trying to build in a way to impress the world and impress your neighbor. 
You're not trying to build something high enough that God would look down and be impressed with you. No, he saw you as a sinner and he saved you through Christ. He's not impressed. We're the ones that are impressed with him. So we want to build a life that honors him, a life of righteousness. The culture around us, though, isn't interested in that. Their focus is self-indulgence and sin. It was the way Noah experienced the culture around him, completely taken up with their sin. Not interested in listening to the warnings of God, not interested in living a righteous life, knowing God, no interest. They wanted to know and experience their sin and every pleasure that came to their mind. And we're told that God will judge that and judge the sinner and judge all sin one day. But it quickly or eventually bottoms out. You've seen it in your own life. Because we wrestle against sin. And when we don't wrestle against it and it gets its way, it bottoms something out in our life. But when you see people around you, people at school or colleagues at work, or someone in your family that they, they're not looking at God at all. There's no, no interest there. Just, they're just doing life according to the way of the world. You see how things blow up. And actually, by the grace of God, they blow up because he's trying to get their attention. And if things supposedly go well, and they keep kind of notching up their accomplishments and their possessions and their money and their pleasures, it's just going to represent a greater fall. And one day, you still have to answer to God because that's a life of sin when you don't acknowledge God and walk to worship him. You're not getting anywhere. It's not like, oh, no, I'm actually going to be able to at the end of time. No, at the end of time, you'll have the greatest shocker of all. It's by God's grace he allows people to crash and burn when they put their hope in things or in people and not in him. But are we there building a life of righteousness close enough that they can say, well, what, what drives you? You seem different. You're not swearing all the time like most of the other guys at work. Or you're not... You seem to have a pure direction. You seem to know what you're about. You, you love your husband. You love your wife. You love your kids. You're committed there. And I know you're a Christian. I know you go to church. I know you're religious, however they say it. And yeah, you're trying to build a life that would reflect who Christ is. Are you building a life that honors him, one of righteousness? Because you're already in the ark. You're already safe and secure. Can I hear an amen to that? You're already secure. You're already included in him. You're in the ark. The promise has been given to you. You accepted it. You're safe and secure for all eternity. Never to be questioned. You may question it, but not because that's what's in God's word, because you struggle with sin and you don't think that that could really be true. No, it's true. But then from that place of knowing you're secure, knowing your identity as a saved and included child of God, from that place, you can build a life of righteousness that'll be a witness to others so that you're not going to fall captive to a world condoning its sin, condoning its ways, and just kind of slipping in to a worldly lifestyle. Instead, you make a commitment that you're going to encourage others in their faith. You're going to sharpen them. You're going to equip them. You're going to pray for them. You're going to do all those one another's because we're building a life of righteousness together. We're building it together, you guys, aren't we? Isn't that what it means to be his family? You don't just go build alone. You don't leave here and then just go try to figure it out. And, wow, but what if I slip up? Or what if I don't understand everything? And I, I'm a newer Christian. What if I don't really? No, we build together. We encourage, equip, and pray, and instruct, and disciple one another. We do it together, right? We're building lives of righteousness together in a church. Hopefully that will be that light on a hill. 
That's what we're called to be, to, to stand out in an unrighteous world, to bring attention to Jesus, not to ourselves, because we're living differently than the culture. We're recognizing temptation and fighting it before it becomes sin so it doesn't enslave us, and we help each other in those struggles against sin so that righteousness comes about more and more. We're all, if you place your faith in Christ, we're all in the ark, but we need to leave the ark. We need to leave the ark and go out. We know when Christ returns, we'll be ready, but we need to get out there now, right? We don't blend in. Like Paul says in Philippians 2, we're called to be shining lights in a dark and perverse world. Is it dark and perverse out there, or do you think it's kind of lit up? Is it kind of cool? Is it kind of interesting? Do you fall, do you find yourself kind of falling in love with the world? You got to see it accurately. It's going to pull you away from God and pull you down. So you say, no, 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 we're, the world, those that don't know God, they're, they're making their stuff, their possessions, their achievements, their girlfriend or their spouse or, or their next wife or next husband or next house or next vacation. They're making that their God. That's dark. That's sinful. That's wrong. And, and I'm just going to like not say a thing. I'm not going to do a thing. I'm not going to declare how Christ has rec- reckoned me to God and given me peace or rescued me. No, we should stand out. We shouldn't be blending in. We're in the world, but not of the world, Scripture tells us. We don't blend in. Noah, did he blend in? He didn't blend in. You think that was lonely and hard at times? Yes. That's why we build together, because we need each other. We need to encourage one another, because it gets hard with those kinds of people, maybe in our neighborhood or family. It gets hard. We need the encouragement. We build together. We don't blend in. We're called to be bright, to be a city on a hill. I want to give you a little illustration. Some of you, again, are very visual. You'll need this. Okay? There's one dude out there who stands out. He's not blending in. Okay, you've heard of Fine Waldo? This is a little, this is the opposite of fine Geraldo. Okay, so Jared, okay, I don't know why he's in neon. Um, the rest of the camp didn't get the memo about dressing in the 90s because I don't think they were born yet. Anyway, no, ask him the, the rest of the story. But like, yeah, we should be neon. We should be lit up for the world to see. We should be a light on a lampstand, not covered with a bowl. We need to be a light so people can see the contrast of what it means to know God. Not because we're trying to be better. We'll actually serve them. They'll actually feel like they're better than us because we'll serve them so much. They won't get confused, will they, guys, that we're trying to be arrogant and better than them? Why? Because we'll do what? Because we'll serve them. We'll come underneath them. We'll do mundane things for them in love. And they will not confuse that we're trying to be better because we're like Christ. We're servants and we'll sacrifice to show the love of Christ. And that will light us up like that neon picture. Okay. So you get the idea. And that's what we do next. And that's our last point. We herald Christ's rescue from sin and herald his return. Second Peter 2, 5. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Most people in our world would say they believe in right or wrong, And they believe in this idea of justice. That's why they want criminals and murderers to get locked up. Not themselves for tax evasion or other sins. Just those really horrible ones. But they'd say they believe in right and wrong. Right? Most people. Not everyone. And justice should be served. Well, guess what? Justice will be served. 
the eternal judge is going to return like he promised to bring justice and judgment to this earth, to rescue and reward those who are hid in the righteousness of Christ, but to punish those who have loved self and loved sin. There is a day of judgment coming for all those who have ever lived and those living today. But what a great joy that you can know Christ and know you're saved because of what he did on that cross, right? You're, you're to use the, the metaphor, to use the story, you're, you're included in the ark. It's, it's given through what Christ did for you. What a glorious truth that is, that you've escaped the wrath of God and you are at peace with him. Romans 5.1, it's enough to play a song of music about. It just stirs me up anyway. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So how do we have peace? Through faith. Through faith in who? Christ. Whose righteousness? His. We hide ourselves in Christ. We have peace with God. Do you have this peace with God through faith in his son? Do you have it right now? And if you don't, open up your heart to him. He came to rescue you, to love you, not condemn you, to forgive you. All you have to do is repent of your sin, admit it, turn from it, and turn to God and say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin, my offense toward you. I want to have this promise that I've heard about today. I need the rescue from sin. I want to be ready for your return. I want to have peace with my creator. And that's offered to you. We'll have an opportunity to pray to receive Christ in just a moment. It's this experience of daily peace with God and the great future that awaits the children of God, you if you know Christ. It's the great experience of this peace with God and your incredible future in his name that motivates and spurs you to do what? To herald, to be like Noah and herald the righteousness that's found in Christ. To let him know there is a judgment coming. Christ is going to return, but you can be ready for his return. And like Paul, you can say, for me to live is Christ to die is gain. I want to live for Christ. I want to let people know about Christ. I want my life to be built, a righteous life, so that they see this reflection, the brightness. I don't want to blend in. I want to stand out for him so that other people, you know, the brightness of that light lights their path to Jesus too, like someone did for me. We do that for others. Deliverance from sin. Great hope that only comes through Christ. That their lives can be filled with goodness, with the power of the Holy Spirit and with eternal hope. God chose Noah to deliver God's people from the flood. God chose Moses to deliver God's people through the Red Sea. God sent Jesus to deliver us through repentance and the waters of baptism. And you can praise God, it's true. But now let other people know they're invited to. Let them know. Let them know that, yeah, there is a righteous God And Jesus came to be our righteousness because we're stuck in sin. Let him know. Let him know how you got stuck in your sin, how someone had to help you see that there was hope for your life. Point him to Jesus. Let him know that Christ is going to return and take us home, and he's going to come as the judge and be just, and he's going to judge sin, and they can be ready, having that judgment taken by Jesus himself. Matthew 24, we'll end there. Matthew 24, 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark 
and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, you must also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So Jesus could come at any time. Are you trying to help others be ready? Are you ready? And are you helping other people be ready? Are you loving God in such a practical way that you're hearing his commands and choosing in faith to live those commands so that the love of Christ gets expelled through your heart and your life and your relationships so people know there's hope in this Christ that you know and that you love? That's why you're still alive. Do you know that? Some of you may think, no, I'm alive to build the rest of my dream. No, I'm alive because I got grandkids coming. I'm alive because, no, because I got a retirement. I'm alive because there's still places I need to get to and go to and experience. No, you're still alive right now because many people go like that, right, at any point. You know, many loved ones and people all around the globe at some point. But why are you? Why is this group? Why am I still alive? Because we have a work to accomplish for Christ. He wants to do something in you and through you. He wants you to know you're in the ark, saved by Christ himself, and going out to be a herald of the saving knowledge of Jesus to others. That's why you're alive right now. Do you realize that? That's the greatest joy you'll ever have. You could build a bigger house, but you're supposed to build a house of righteousness. You could try to just experience things in the world, but what you're supposed to experience is that the truth of God and the promises of God stand, and they can rescue anyone. That's what you believe, because God said it. And no one is too far from God. No matter how dark and broken they are in their sin, they're not too far. And in one prayer, they can turn and be saved and be included in God's family. Live these truths and live as a herald of Christ's rescue and his return. And God will do surprising things in your life. Well, does that mean I can't be an engineer? No, just be an engineer that heralds the rescue and return of Christ. Well, does that mean I can't go to college and get married? No, get married, but get married to someone who can be a teammate in the Lord and that you'll be able to share the hope that's in Christ. Well, does that mean I can't experience? No, go to the ends of the earth, but with the gospel as you go. See, it's a totally different way of framing the reason you're still alive and with every breath you have and with every breath I have. So what's the review? Three basic takeaways. Believe God and obey his word. Build a life of righteousness together with other believers. Herald Christ's rescue from sin and his return. That's enough to go live. What do you think? Jason's going to come out and he's going to sing a song over us, if you will, because many of you probably won't know the song. So just receive the song. If you know it, sing it. But it's just really a time of prayer and seeking the Lord. Uh, You may have something in your life you have to give over to God that's getting in the way of you living a righteous life. Just confess that. Give it to him. Just get it out of the way. Let Christ forgive that and take it out of the way. It's an obstacle. You may want to just express to him, you know people in your life that need Christ and you want the boldness by faith to share the goodness of Christ with them, with that person. Or whatever's on your heart to pray. It's a time to worship, to seek him, to give your first and best, as we learned last week, and to really honor the Lord in this time. So enjoy the time to do all those things and then to sing out from your heart to him. Let's have a prayer. Powerful truths today, Lord. 
You've given us steps to take. They're filled with your love and with your promise. So Lord, we want to take them. We need your strength through your Holy Spirit to go live radically, not safely, radically, these truths before you and before man so that the light of Christ, you, Lord, in our life, would shine. We don't want to blend in. We want to play it safe. That doesn't honor you. We want to live by faith. Like we saw Noah's life may be true of us more and more until you return for us, Lord. If you don't know Christ and you're sitting here today, just call out from your heart to him. Say, God, would you forgive me? Forgive me my sin, my waywardness from you. Come into my life. Allow me to come into you, Christ. Like Noah and his family entered and all those animals entered the ark of safety and promise. Lord, I want that promise of your life in me for all eternity. Your forgiveness. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for accepting me now as a child of God for all eternity. Because I pray it in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer, just tell someone that you did that. And Father, for the rest of us who know you, I pray that this time now would honor you as we seek you and worship you and pray and sing and give. It's all to show, Lord, how much we love you.